So here's what we've got going on. Uh, we're going to be studying the book of Luke today, and then we're going to wrap it up next Sunday. Um, so that's been, uh, we've been in Luke a few weeks, so we've got two more weeks of that, including today. I wanted just to let you know a couple things coming up this fall. Um, we have different opportunities that we're going to present to you for community outreach, community presence, things that we're going to be doing. We have um, something we're going to be introducing that is more of a missions around the world opportunity for you to give towards as we head into the Christmas season uh, soon. We're not there. I'm not one of those like Christmas, start thinking about it right now. I'm not ready for Christmas yet. Um, but we've got things coming up for you to jump in and get involved at Homestead Church. And then a couple other things I'm really excited about. Christy and I have been planning out our sermon series for the next couple of weeks. So in the month of November, if you were here last fall, um, we did this series. But we're going to do a new version, revisit the sermon series we did last fall on anxiety, depression, mental illness called Out of the Pit. Um, we're going to revisit that. Um, we're going to add some new material, new sermons. And so a lot of it's going to be the same. A lot of it will be different. But this is something that over the past year, we saw last fall how that resonated with our church, with our community. This uh, issue of anxiety, depression, mental illness. It affects our families. It affects our church. It affects our community. So that is one of the things that causes us to do sermon series is what, is, what are the felt needs in our community? What are the things that we need to be talking about as the church? Um, in the past, in this issue, in this area, the church has not been leading the way well in having this discussion. It seems to be mental illness, depression has been something that a lot of churches have just kind of, well, we, we don't really talk about that. So we want to talk about it. It's something that affects us. So that's going to be November. We're doing the series Out of the Pit. Uh, we're doing that series again. And in October, coming up in a couple of weeks, I'm excited about this one. We're going to do a five-week series called The Skeptic and the Believer. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk through a lot of the questions, some of the, the, a few of the questions that people have for being skeptical about faith. A few of the reasons why people would say, I don't want anything to do with God. And maybe you've had conversations like this with a coworker. Maybe you're here today and you're one of those skeptics. And that's okay. If you're here and you're skeptical, that's no problem. Uh, we want to talk about these things. You know, science and faith. Doesn't science disprove religion? How do we know that God even exists? Can we trust the Bible? Isn't the Bible just a book that a bunch of guys wrote, you know, a few years ago? Why, why would I trust in a loving, quote-unquote, God that sends people to hell or allows all this evil in the world? All these things that come up in, in this series, I think, could be for a few reasons. This could be for us because we have these conversations with people in our workplace, students, if you're going off to college someday or maybe into high school, you're going to come in contact with a professor who has all the answers why Christianity is wrong. And I want you to be equipped to know, okay, this is why we believe that this Bible is true and accurate and reliable. This is why we put our faith in a God that exists. This is why we believe that God is loving, even in the midst of tragedy in this world. And also, I want to do that series for the skeptics in our world. Maybe that's you, or maybe you have a family member or a friend or someone at work that you're always like, I don't even want to say I went to church yesterday because all they're going to say is, how can you, you know, they're going to list all the five, ten reasons why they would never believe that and why you're crazy for believing that. Maybe you can invite them to church. This is not going to be like one of those get them in here and then gang up on them situations, okay? We're simply going to just have a conversation. These are the questions that maybe we have. These are the questions that our world has. Why would you even believe 
believe in God. So that's October. The series is called The Skeptic and the Believer. I'm excited about that. So all these things coming up, I encourage you to jump in, get involved. I want you to think about somebody that you could invite over the next several weeks. And we want to see our church grow, not just in number, but in faith, in our maturity, in our knowledge of Scripture. So all these things. We want you to invite some friends, jump in, and we're going to have a great fall at Homestead Church. All right. Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. You can turn there if you have a Bible. The words will be, the word, the scriptures will be on the screen. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. This is the story that we would know as the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe the subtitle in your Bible. Mine says, the rich and the kingdom of God. Some people say it's the story of the rich young ruler or the rich young man. This is a story found in Luke 18, and we're going to read that together, verse 18 through 30. So I'm just going to kind of read the whole story, and then we'll go back and kind of jump in and look at it a little more closely and see how this can apply to us today. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 says this. This is Jesus and his disciples. They're meeting, and again, as you know, the crowds are always around him. He's teaching his disciples. He's ministering to the crowds, and this happens in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When those those who heard this asked, Sorry, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. All right, so that's the story of the rich young man, the rich young ruler. He is a wealthy man. We find that out. Um, You might be thinking, okay, he wandered up and and maybe it was like Jesus, kind of the prophetic, he knows everything, so that's how he knew he had money. Well, in this day and age, in this culture, if you had money, everybody knew it. It was just everybody knew who the wealthy people were. It was if you had certain clothes, you had certain status, you could just tell who was wealthy. So let's talk about this rich young ruler and uh, what this means for us today. This is a wealthy man, a man of authority, and everybody knew this. He, but he, you read this story and you realize this is not a, he's, he doesn't seem arrogant. He doesn't seem hard Hearted. He doesn't seem to be all about his money. There's a humility there about this guy, right? When you read that, you can see that. He, he's showing humility by coming to Jesus. He's not arrogant. He's not trying to buy his way into heaven. He's not trying to show off his wealth to other people. He's simply coming to Jesus, asking a question. He's showing humility. 
He's interested in eternity. His question is, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? And he sees Jesus as having the answer. That's why he's going to Jesus. So this, in this young man's life, in this wealthy man's life, is some elements of faith. He's got elements of faith there. He has humility. He's seeking Jesus. He has a good heart. And the answer that Jesus gives is probably one that everyone listening would have expected. It's probably the one this young man expected when Jesus answered. When he asked this question, he was probably expecting Jesus to answer the way he did. You want to inherit eternal life? Obey the commandments. Obey the commandments. Listen to the teachings of Scripture and apply those life to your life. And Jesus lists them. He lists those commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. These things. Now, it's interesting... If you know the Ten Commandments, you're probably looking at what Jesus said, and you're thinking, he left out a few. Why did he leave out a few? Maybe he just was, you know, didn't feel the need to list all ten. But the ones he left out are actually interesting, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But Jesus' answer is what you would expect. Obey the commandments. And the young man replies to Jesus, well, I've done those. I've done those all my life. I've done those all my life, ever since I was a little boy. He would have grown up knowing what the commandments were, knowing what the law said, knowing what the Scripture said. I've applied those to my life. I've obeyed those. I've done those my whole life. Now, here's why this story kind of resonates with me. Here's why this story resonates with me, and maybe it does with you. I think it does for all of us for this reason. This guy is a lot like us, okay? And you might be thinking, I certainly don't feel like a rich young person, I feel like a poor old person. But this guy relates to us. We can relate to him. And here's why. If you described a lot of us in this church, you would say this. We are good-hearted people. We're good-hearted people. We have a comfortable life. We have some means. If we live in this part of the world, we are, by comparison to the rest of the world, wealthy. We like Jesus. We see Jesus as having some answers. We see Jesus as the way to get to heaven. We want to go to heaven. We obey the commandments. We are good people who have elements of faith in our life. And this is why the story of this rich young man relates to us. He's a lot like us. We are a lot like him. But there's more. There's more. As the story goes on, we learn that there's more. Because this rich young man recognizes that it's not enough. There's something missing. He recognizes, okay, I've followed all the rules. I've done all the right things, but there's something missing. I've obeyed the commandments, but there is something else. And this is why, again, this story relates to us is because I think we realize that as well. Maybe you've been a church person and you just kind of go and you follow the rules and you do what they taught you in Sunday school. But after a while, you realize there's got to be something more, right? This just feels like I'm kind of existing at this level of faith that just feels like there's got to be more to it than this. And what Jesus does is he takes it a step further. He takes it a step further. <laughs> Sorry, I'm listening to that dog, as I'm sure you all are too, and I'm like, is somebody attacking that dog now? Which, in my opinion, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world this morning. <laughs> Anyways, enough about that dog. Now that I've brought it to your attention, that's all you're going to be hearing. So, Lord, please do something about that dog. (laughs) 
Um, the reason why this story relates to us is because we all can find that comfortable level of devotion, that comfortable level of, I do the things, I believe the things, I like Jesus, I have a good heart, I'm a good person, and this is the comfortable level. But what Jesus says, and what we're learning today, is if you want the life of faith that's all in, the kind of faith that is big and bold, that pleases our God, it's going to take a different level of commitment, right? And that's what we get from this story. Now, Jesus applies a very specific example to this young man, but maybe for us it's not how we handle our wealth. Maybe it's any number of things, but there is a different level of commitment if we want to be all in in our faith. Now, we understand this in really every area of our life, every other area of our life. Let's imagine if you want to be, you know, whether it's in business or finances or athletics or academics, whatever it is, there's a certain level of, yeah, I kind of, you know, I can be like the rest, I can be decent at it, but if you want to be exceptional at anything, there's a, a required dedication. So let's just take my golf game, for example, okay? I was actually talking to Keith Revels this morning as we were, we were talking golf, and he was asking how my golf game was going, so it applies today. I am a decent golfer, okay? I've done just enough to be kind of, I can go out and play golf with people and hold my own. I've got some neighbors here that have, seen, have golfed with me, and they're like, yeah, maybe decent is a stretch. But I, you know, I'm a decent golfer. What would it take for me to be an exceptional golfer like the ones you see on TV? Well, that would take a whole other level of dedication, right? I would have to learn how to hit the ball straight every time, you know, one of those things. I would learn how to, I'd have to learn how to not get so distracted or, you know, just be, I would learn how to handle, I'd have to learn how to handle the golf course a little better. It would take all these things, anything with athletics. You can be decent at something. We've got the Olympics coming up in February. I think the Twin Cities Marathon is next weekend. Let's imagine I want to go, I think to myself, I want to go run the marathon next Sunday. Well, no, I couldn't. I haven't put in that required dedication that would allow me to run 26.2 miles. No matter how hard I try, I haven't put in that dedication. Um, speaking of running, my illustrious track and field career in the ninth grade at Heritage Christian Academy in Calgary, Alberta, we were a powerhouse of track and field, Heritage Christian Academy. We weren't. How it worked was we were a small Christian school, and they said, we need to have a track team, so who wants to go out for track? And a few of us put up our hands. Great. Now, what do you want to run? Who can run 1,500 meters? And I'm like, well, I probably can, because I could actually you know, run 1,500 meters without falling down. And I think that was the only requirement for this track and field team. And I thought, well, I must be good until I got to the first track and field meet. And about 40 meters into this race, I realized I have not put in the required work that's going to cause me to really, really be good at this. I'm okay. I can run around the track three and three quarters times or whatever it is. But as the pack pulled away from me and I was finding myself in last place, I realized I might be okay compared to everybody, but in order to be really good, I should have done a lot more training. I should have been a lot more dedicated. And after the first lap, the track coach, you know, after the first lap, I'd run by, and the coach is, like, being encouraging. So he says, just try to keep up with the pack, Jeff. Just That was his encouragement. Just try to keep up with everybody else. And then second time around, when I was well in last place, he, the coach is trying to encourage me, just pass that one kid. Just pass one kid. There's a kid like 20 yards ahead of you. You can be second last. And I'm like, I don't care. It doesn't seem like it's worth it to do. 
So that was the end of my track and field career. But we understand this principle, whether it's business, in academics, you can be, you can go in and be a C student, a B student, and kind of just do okay. But if you want to be on a roll, if you want to be scholarship, if you want to be the top of your class, there's a dedication that is required. We get this, right? We get this in every area of our life. But what this story tells us is the same thing applies to our faith. The same thing applies to our relationship with God. We can exist at a comfortable level of faith if we want. We can exist at a comfortable level of faith. It's easy to do. I go to church. I try to be a good person. I like Jesus. That's about it. But this story challenges that idea that if you want to have a great faith, there is a step required. There is a level of dedication required. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, the letter he writes, the book of 1 Corinthians, he actually applies this idea and uses athletics as an example. It says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I love those verses because he's comparing athletics and he is saying, you know what, everyone who wants to be great has to put in the required dedication. And they do it for a crown or a medal that is going to fade away someday. How much more when we are running the life of faith, when we're running for a crown that will never fade away, how much more should we apply that same thing? Put in the dedication. Take that step. Jesus gives us a glimpse in this story of the rich young man of this devotion that he is calling us to. Sorry. This is why my golf game is so terrible, because any little noise causes me to just, like, shut down. Um, in the story, Jesus goes on. He, the story is going on. The real young man comes to Jesus. How do I get to eternal life? Jesus says, obey the commandments. You know the commandments. And he says, I've done this my whole life. And the story continues, and Jesus says, there's one thing you haven't done. There's one step you've got to take. If you want to have exceptional faith, you've got to have an exceptional commitment. And that, in your life, rich young man, would be this. Sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus is telling this young man, you're existing at a comfortable level of devotion. It's not really costing you anything. You're existing in a comfortable level of faith. But if you want that great faith, it's going to take some extra steps, some extra commitment. And this is a huge moment. This is a huge moment. Jesus is with his disciples. All these disciples, if you've read the Gospels, you know that for all these disciples, Jesus went to them and said, hey, if you want to follow me, give up what you're doing and come follow me. And that's how all these disciples came and followed him. You know, there's Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were all fishermen. And when Jesus approached them to say, come follow me, they left they pretty much dropped what they were doing, left all their fishing equipment, their livelihood, their way of earning an income, and they followed. They left it behind, and they followed him. Matthew was a tax collector. He left his career the way he makes money. He just left it and followed Jesus. So as Jesus is asking this rich young man to do the same thing, all the disciples are listening, and all of the disciples are saying, that's what we did. Come on, dude. Come on, rich young man. That's what we did. Come on, join us. That's what we did. We gave up everything. We took those great steps to follow Jesus. In fact, 
in verse 28, you heard that Peter points this out to Jesus. He says, Jesus, we left our homes to follow you. We left our families to follow you. We left our livelihood to follow you. Our income, our way of life, our identity, we left it all to follow you. And Jesus replied in those verses that we read, nobody who gives anything up for me is going to be disappointed. Nobody who gives up anything is going to be disappointed. You're going to realize it was worth it. You're going to realize it was worth it. And so this is the invitation to this young man to take that big step, to leave behind his life, and to be a disciple of Jesus. And what does he do? Instead of jumping in, he walks away. He walks away. He had a lot of money. And I guess the application would be, you know, it's one thing to give up a fishing business or the financial perks of being a tax collector. But when you got a lot of money, it's pretty hard to give all that up, right? It's pretty hard to give up valuable things for following Jesus. We see this in the church world. The church world is notorious for this. People have old crappy stuff in their garage and they say, this, is old, this old dryer doesn't work. What should we do with it? Let's give it to the church, right? We'll be a blessing to the church. I have this old car that hasn't run in 30 years. I'm going to be a blessing to the church. And so churches get overrun with all these donations, but really it's just the easiest thing for people to get rid of stuff. Just take it to the church. They'll figure out what to do with the old dryer that doesn't work. And so then we got to figure out, what do, what do we do with this old dryer that doesn't work? It's easy to give away stuff that's not valuable. But when it's valuable stuff... And I think Jesus obviously recognizes that because that's why he gives that illustration of it's harder for a rich man. I mean, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which, you know, sounds impossible. It's easier for that to happen than for the rich to follow me. Jesus understands the more you have, the harder it is to give up to follow him. And I think that's why, just practically speaking in this day and age, you know, the church is alive and well in America, and the gospel is moving and people's lives are being changed, but it is nothing compared to what the gospel is doing around the world, in China, parts of Africa, South America, India, all these places where the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading like crazy. People are giving their lives in unbelievable numbers, and I think for one reason is because they are part of the poorer nations of the world. I think for people who have nothing, they're able to say, yes, Lord, I want you. I've got, I'll give up everything because they don't have all those things holding them down. In this part of the world, we have a lot of things kind of holding us back. Money, relationships, status, careers, whatever it is. And I think that's one of the reasons in this part of the world, it's harder for people to really dive in because we got a lot of stuff. We got things I don't really want to give up. You know, the Bible talks about... Jesus, when he taught in the Beatitudes, he even says, blessed are the poor. And I think the reason he said that is because, because if you don't have anything, then it's not hard for you to give everything up to follow Jesus. I think this is why it's one of those blessings. So what about us today? Now, I want to encourage you with this. Now, you're probably worried, oh, man, they're going to take an offering, and i got to give up everything. i got to give my old dryer to the church and all that stuff. This story is not about money. This story is not about money. This is not a story of how Jesus doesn't want anybody to have money, okay? This story is not, as the message translation says in Luke 18, the message translation says this, it's not about the money, money, money. We don't need your money, money, money. It's not about the hey, ba-bling, ba-bling. It's, I'm sorry, that's, uh, that's not the message translation. That's Jessie J, her song price tag. Um, 
This is not a story about the money, okay? This is a story about that one area of your heart. This is the story of that area in your life that's really hard to give up. It might be money, or it might be any number of things. It's about that one thing we have in us, that idol we have in our lives, that thing we refuse to give up, that thing that is holding us back from that level of commitment that Jesus is asking us to take in order to have that great faith. You know, I mentioned when Jesus was listing those commandments to the rich young man, he said, the command, you know the commandments, honor your father and mother, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. Those are the ones he listed. Well, which, what are the ones that he left out? If you know the Ten Commandments, he left out the one, don't have anything more important than God in your life. Don't have any idols set up in your life. And he also left out, don't covet. Don't be so worried about other people's stuff. Well, maybe he left those out because he knew those were the exact things that this rich young guy was dealing with. He had that idol in his life. He had that thing he was unwilling to give up. Now, it could be money in your life. It could be any number of things. It could be just your desire to be your own God and control everything. The, re- the thing you're not willing to give up to the God of the universe is your lordship of your life. Maybe it's an addiction or a relationship. Whatever it is that you're holding on to. In my life, I notice my level of anxiety going up the more I try to be closed-fisted and just make sure I'm providing for my family and Sometimes it has to do with money. Just sometimes it has to do with my desire to control everything and worry about things that could go wrong. That's something that I got to learn to let go of. But for you, it might be any number of things. Maybe it's doing anything for approval. Maybe it's pride, anger. Maybe it's your career or always trying to be recognized, always trying to have status and influence. Maybe it's an area of sin, an addiction that you have, and you know it. You know it, that if you were that young man talking to Jesus and Jesus was going to point out that one thing that you got to get rid of, you know what it is. You would say, oh, it's this addiction I have. It's a chemical addiction. It's lust and pornography. It's anger and pride. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it's something that's holding you back. And if Jesus were having a conversation with you and you said, I've obeyed all the commandments, he would say, okay, there's one thing you lack. You haven't gotten rid of this. You haven't been willing to give this up. So what's holding you back from that level of faith? What's holding you back? God has an abundant life for you. God has abundant life for you if you're willing to lay down your life and follow him. But that doesn't happen when we hold on to the stuff that's holding us back, right? It doesn't happen if we're constantly holding on to the things that we want to be God over. So what's holding you back? And you might be thinking, holding me back from what? I like this comfortable faith. I like this level that I'm at. I like eighth place in the 1,500 meters. I'm okay with that. You know, I, I like this level of faith. Holding me back from what? Well, I want to say this. Holding you back from that abundant life in Jesus, that fully committed faith that isn't deluded by the cares of this world. Most importantly, it's a faith that is all in, that pleases and honors God. 
a faith that he can use to change the world. Look at what Jesus did with those disciples who were willing to lay down everything and follow Jesus. He changed the world through them. Do you think there was ever a moment where the disciples, as they're planting churches all around the world, as they see Jesus rise from the dead, and yeah, look at what we're a part of, and we're seeing thousands saved daily, and we're seeing miracles, we're seeing blind eyes healed, we're seeing lame people get up and walk. Do you think as they're a part of that, when they're seeing Jesus, Jesus and the presence of God move through them. Do you think any one of them is like, whoa, but I sure wish I was back fishing. You know, oh man, but boy, I had to give up that illustrious career in fishing. No, they were, they loved the fact that they had given up the past to see what God was going to do through them as they were fully, fully committed. Is God going to ask you to sell everything and give to the poor? Not necessarily, but he might. He might. I've known of people who have felt that challenge from God to sell everything. I've heard of people that at the end of the year, anything they have left over, they just give away. I know of a pastor in Texas who preaches a lot on stewardship and finances that several times God has asked them to give everything away. And you know what those stories involve? Well, great faith, certainly, but they always involve the faithfulness of God to come in and provide, where God responds to that step, that level of sacrifice with abundance of blessing. So maybe God's going to ask you to do that. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, we have a choice as individuals and as a church to settle for comfortable devotion or to take that step necessary to have that faith that God can really use. And that's what this story is about. That's what this story of the rich young ruler is all about. If there's something holding you back... God's going to say, hey, why don't we get rid of that? If it's all about material possessions, hey, why don't we not just get rid of the material possessions, but your desire for them? Why don't we do something about that? What if we moved past all of us, myself included, that comfortable faith and said, Jesus, I want to follow you no matter what? No matter what, right? Amen? No matter what. There's something, if there's something I'm not willing to give up, Lord, challenge me, and I want to exchange that, give that up, and take on your fully abundant life, a life that is fully committed to you. So as I look at this story, I can't help but think about this rich young man. You know, the the story ends and the rich young man walks away. We never hear about him again. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know his name. We don't know what happened to him later in life. And all I think about when I read this story is what if, right? Maybe you're like me and you think, whatever happened to that guy? I wonder what happened to that guy. What if he had obeyed? What if in that moment when Jesus was calling him, he had said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he followed through and he started following Jesus. What if he had obeyed? I wonder if the rest of Scripture would be filled with stories of what God did through him. I wonder as you read through the book of Acts, where you read about the starting of the church after Jesus died and rose again, churches being planted all over, I wonder if this rich young man would be a character in those stories, seeing lives changed seeing God change the world through him. It's funny, we don't even know his name. We know him by his wealth. We know him by what defined him. But I wonder about the rest of his life. I imagine he went on to live his life, and uh, I bet he remembered that day, every day for the rest of his life. I I, I bet he remembered the day that he talked to Jesus. And I'm sure there was, as the days and weeks and months went on, he was probably observing Jesus from a distance and saying, there's that guy that asked me to sell everything. 
I can't believe those people are following him. And then the day came when Jesus was arrested and crucified, and it looked like it was over. And I bet that rich young man then said, I'm sure glad I didn't sell everything and follow that guy because he's just been crucified. But then I bet he heard rumors and started talking to eyewitnesses who said, no, Jesus rose. And he heard more and more stories of the resurrection of Jesus and talked to more people who saw Jesus alive. And then talked to more people who were going around the world and seeing the church planted all over the world, seeing lives changed, miracles occur. And I wonder what he thought then. I wonder what he thought then. If he would have thought, oh, I'm sure glad I held on to my stuff. I bet there was a moment where he said, I wish I would have followed. What would God have done in my life if I would have followed? What would he have done if I was willing to lay down everything for him? I bet there was times where he'd say, I'd rather be changing the world with those disciples. I'd rather see God use me to change the world. So that's the story of the rich young ruler, and I want to apply it to us today in this way. Is there a step that God is asking you to take? Is there a step that God's asking you to take? I could list all sorts of hypothetical things, as I've done already, and it might be some of those things. It might be something completely different. But what I know about us If you have a heart for God, it's not going to take long before God starts to tug at your heart about that one thing. So you probably know what it is. If I say, what's the one thing that's holding you back? I bet you know what it is. I bet you know what it is, and you're just fidgeting like, oh, I just want to hang on to that thing again. Why does he keep saying that? I don't want to give that up. But what's the step that he's asking you to take? All of us, I think it could be this. Um... You know, you hear me like a broken record talking about applying faith to our life, spending time reading the Word. We just did the Summer Scripture Challenge where we, as a church, we're going to memorize a passage of Scripture, 22 verses. The kids did great. The adults did not do so great. The adults did the comfortable level of faith. And not the, the adults did me running the 1,500 meters in ninth grade. It was kind of like last place, you know? Maybe it's just a step of faith to say, you know what? I want the Word of God to be alive in my life. I want to take some time and read it. Next summer when we do it, I want us to memorize it. Come on, let's lead the way. Stuff like that, simple things like that. Maybe it's something around the church where it's, God might be just saying, stop just coming and sitting in the pew. Get involved. Get involved. Get to know some people. Start serving. Maybe it's outside these walls. I know it is for all of us where the thing that God might be asking you to do, that step of faith might be to just simply engage with your neighbors. Find a need that is there and meet it. Be willing to share about your faith with a coworker, that skeptic, that person who's got all the answers that you kind of just want to keep your faith away from. Maybe it's that step of faith to say, no, I'm going to talk about this. I'm not going to be ashamed of my faith. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to invite some people to church. Maybe it's something that you know God is asking you to give up, an addiction, a sin, habit, a Whatever it is, a material possession, just something that you know that you've elevated to something that is more important than God, and God is saying, I can't be Lord of your life with that thing there. Let's get rid of that. Maybe that's the thing. And I don't know what that is for you, but I bet you do. So I want to encourage you with the words of Luke 18. Jesus has abundant life. His call as it was for those disciples, as it was for this rich young man, is the same for us. Come, follow me. Lay down your life and follow me, and I promise you won't regret it. I promise you won't regret it. Nobody who gives anything up, it says right there, nobody who gives anything up isn't going to be blessed beyond their wildest imagination.
And that might be blessings here on earth. It's definitely going to be blessings in heaven. We run the race for a crown of glory that will not fade. It is eternal, abundant life. Life here on earth where we see God flow through us. We see him use us to change the world and eternal life in heaven. This is the abundant life that God has for us. If we will lay down what is holding us back. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are your people here today. And... In this room, I bet there's all sorts of levels of faith. There are some who are people of great faith who have made great sacrifices, steps of commitment and devotion for you. And I bet there's people here that are kind of in the comfortable level. Jesus is kind of a thing we just kind of do on the side. I go to church, I obey some of the commandments, and I, I have a good heart. And I think all of us can get that way at times, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that for all of us, you would challenge those areas of comfortable faith that we have and challenge us to take that step, that step of devotion, where we could see you do amazing things, where we could see you not only change our lives, but change the world through us. We want to be your people, fully committed and devoted to you. So, Lord, whatever that is for these people today, whatever it is for Homestead Church, we make that commitment to just say, whatever it is, God, we're going we're gonna to trust you. We're going to trust you. We're going to take those steps, and I pray that you would continue to draw us towards that abundant life in you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody at Homestead said, amen.